0: A reading from the book of John, chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, Who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated and the kids are invited to kids' church this morning. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To stow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. So the words from Isaiah um, that Zane read for us this morning. Um, But this is, as I mentioned, this Sunday where we sort of have this time of joy in the midst of what we've been walking. Now, um, as as many of you are familiar, in Advent, um, in Defiance Church, we try to build the expectation of what God is going to do in Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, God with us. And so there's a saying, uh, one of the books that I like uh, for Advent is um, by a priest, Fleming Rutledge, and she, she has this phrase in which she sort of dominates the book, is that Advent begins in the dark. That advent begins in the dark. That first phrase of um, one of my favorite hymns, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is about being rescued as captive Israel, which is where this book of Isaiah reading comes from too, is that that these people who are bound up and imprisoned and enslaved and cast all over the ancient Near East, uh, these people called Israel, um, we sit with them in one of these ways and say, rescue us O captive Israel. That is one of the three ways in which we celebrate Advent. Advent, as I've said, has this way of sort of positioning ourselves as those who are awaiting the Messiah the first time. We live into the story in this way so that the light can come amongst us. This is um, our way of sort of positioning ourselves to... You know, it's for lack of a better word, pretend, although I don't think that's exactly what's going on. It's more like living into a story. It's coming into a story. But, but to say, what does it mean to wait as people who have received oracles and promises and prophets from of old that God will reconcile and redeem all things? What does it mean to wait in that? The second way um, is this way in which we, uh, Advent is as much about the first coming of Christ as the second coming. We await the second advent of Christ, in which these things which cause darkness to come upon the land are finally extinguished. So too, as Israel existed in in slavery in Egypt, um, but also in its trials throughout the ancient Near East, um, so too the church exists in its own forms of that. Um, whether you want to talk about slavery to, to death, which is one of the chief ones, that last enemy in which Christ is going to rescue us from, it says in the New Testament, or slavery to addictions and forms, slavery to um, uh, that that Good Friday or Black Friday <laughs> started October third this year. Um, this slavery to sort of uh, consumerism and and providing for our own and stuff like that. This these slaveries in which we sort of seek out in our addictions. And as we look at the world, I think, to be honest about the state of it, which is one of the trials, I think, during this season, is to say that there is so much brokenness. Humanity still exists, and it's slavery to distortions of other people and things, and building up walls and dividing, and warfare, as we've seen in the past couple of years, like I mean warfare is always ongoing in the world whether it's covered in the American press or not, but certainly within the last couple of years with Ukraine and what's happening in the Middle East today, you know, we have active sort of war zones in a way that, that we haven't had for quite some time. Uh, not to say, that again, what's covered is not always, we, we ignore some of the things that are perpetual I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but. Uh, we have these things, and, and so half of you are thinking, he said today was about joy. Um, uh, well, was a, what a liar. Um, uh, and yet, these passages hold together this sort of joy that comes on the other side of darkness. So I think the challenge, let's say, as a, as a 12-year-old American in suburban Chicago when I was growing up, which I've not entirely freed myself from in so many ways, but um, Christmas joy was just more. It wasn't freedom from something else. My life was good. My life was good almost all the time. So if you asked me to imagine the joy that came at Christmas, it would be like some free presents this time, Um, some, some extra meals, some time with family, But the ability for the 12-year-old me and then sometimes the 40-year-old me um, to sort of grasp that the biblical notion of joy comes on the other side of exile. In the psalm, it comes on the other side of mourning. Um, It comes on the other side, and and for John the Baptist's words, as he says, I'm a voice preparing the way, it comes as they exist um, governed and ruled by Rome. The land is not their own. So there's this intermingling, this connection between joy that we often miss. Joy, uh, Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite theologians, and I've used this phrase before, he talks about hope for the American just being more of the present. Hope for the American just being more of the present. Could it be just more of what I already have? So it becomes hard for us to, I think, move into these real aspects of joy. For instance, in the words of Isaiah, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedoms for the captives, and release release from darkness for the prisoners. Um, There's part of me, and I think this temptation exists in all of us, to be like, that's good for other people, but what about us for whom life is fine? I don't find myself in prison. would be bold to pronounce myself poor. Um, It would not work. Um, To bind up the brokenhearted. I think so much of my life I can spend trying to guard my heart from becoming brokenhearted. Everything's fine. (laughs) Um, It's part of, I think, the goal of us in some ways, to not be capable of being brokenhearted. There's a virtue in caring for the brokenhearted, but seldom are our hearts broken. Um, And when they they are, it comes as quite a shock for us. I mean, all of us have those moments. That's not to say it doesn't come. But when things are fine, it's hard to hear this as good news, to proclaim freedom for the captives. Now, here, I can think about what I'm captive to but that's all fine. (laughs) Um, uh, We can, what I'm trying to say is, is position and open ourselves up in such a way that these words are good news for us as well. To say that we see the lack in the world. We see and experience our own brokenheartedness. We see those who mourn. We mourn ourselves, and this is a hard, hard. I think even for me, uh, not that, not better than you. I mean, even for uh, to live mournfully is, is is just seems like I've to be attentive to the world in that way. Is that really what I should be called to do? Um, shouldn't I have it all together in some ways? Um, to see those who mourn, because these, as many of us are aware, these words from Isaiah are the ones in which um, Jesus opens his ministry with in Luke's Gospel, Luke four, that the Spirit of the Lord is now upon me. Which is an interesting part about this Isaiah oracle is that these people, um, for chapters one through forty, are largely just in exile and in judgment. And what happens in forty forward, this is chapter sixty one, is the sense of restoration and reclamation, and these sort of things become part of the people. So, Jesus opening his ministry with those words is supposed to say that these realities are still there. And it's his ministry to then um, be the one who announces that good news. That this is good news for the captive, the brokenhearted, the poor, those who mourn. Um, this is good news for the reversal of things that's promised to us in Christ. Um, and so we live into that. We find that in this way. Um, I originally intended to to do the psalm first, but I think we'll just stick with Isaiah since since that's apparently where my heart is. The first thing before we get going is this is the um, collect for this week. I've been encouraging us to take them off the back of the bulletin. They come from the Book of Common Prayer. But to place them someplace in your house or heart to, to the busyness of this season. Um, Kelly has this... Uh, gift that she likes to schedule with me. Um, she's like, hey, let's schedule some things. And like, I've noticed in the past three weeks, we have that meeting like four times a day. Um, and I'm like, this is the first I'm hearing of this. And she's like, I've told you 17 times this week. Um, point being is uh, to have this out someplace to, I can't be the only person who feels that way, but um, to be reminded of, of having this time of prayer of God, who sent your messengers to prophets to preach repentance to prepare the way for our salvation. Just to have this as this quick daytime prayer as you're, if you're like me, just swamped in busyness and things to do to have this time to sort of recenter and hear again what the season is about. And then, of course, the, the quote on the other side is, Early Christian writings has the ends of the world upon it. It hence its emphasis on fulfillment, fullness of time. The shape of the world plot can now be seen. Connecting this with Isaiah and what we've been talking about, it has the shape of the world plot. I think we all know or have experienced Christians who are like, I have the world's plot now laid out before me because I've read and discerned that 12 times 12 equals this and this, and tomorrow is the day that Jesus returns. Um, what, what he's saying here is it has the shape of the world's plot. It doesn't have the whole but what is the shape of the world's a plot is that movement from in which we are in bondage and in slavery and captive in this way and then in which we are freed. That one comes amongst us and frees us. And what, what Frank Kermode here is saying um, I just think is beautiful in the sense it's the shape of the world's plot. This is the shape of the story in which the world is going on. Willingly or unwillingly, but that God is going to bring about. Um, But to return to Isaiah, we'll walk through each of the three readings we sort of had this morning. Um, uh, How can this be good news for us? Um, What does it mean for this word to captives in Israel to become a good word for us? One of the challenges I think we have today... um, often is if I say, open up your Bibles to Isaiah 61, and we would just read this verse, or even worse, sorry, Shelley, open up your smartphone to Isaiah 61, you don't even have the notion that this is connected to so many other things, you begin to think that this is the only word. Yet this word is connected to so many other words and connected to such a deep story. For instance, if you just opened up and read these words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, you would say, you could come away with the illusion that it's all just good news. Everything is just permanent good news. Yet, in fact, as I've said, these people were in exile. They didn't hear this as sort of the default state of things that's coming. They heard this as a great reversal of what is. And so this passage here, which um, comes from this, I, I particularly love, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair. Where are we to hear sometimes this news is good news? I think if we're honest, I mean, think your past year, There was a time in which you wore ashes instead of the oil of joy. Where is that place in which you um, clothed yourself in mourning? In which you needed the word that there is coming a garment of, uh, um, sorry, clothed yourself in ashes instead of a crown of beauty, in the oil of mourning instead of joy, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Just move on fast from those things. Uh, Put on a happy song. Um, And so this transformation, this joy that we're talking about this Sunday is one that comes on the other side of something. It's important to miss that. I mean, the world would say from uh, Thanksgiving which this year is not the start of Advent, um, but from Thanksgiving until Christmas, uh, and Christmas being just Christmas Day, not the 12 days after Christmas, um, that's called the hangover, I think, in the modern world, until New Year's, then you've got to game up again. Um, but this is the way in which the world functions. Um, but for the church to say that this comes on the other side of something, it's not just more of the present. It's not just um, us being raised up to more joyous heights. It's coming on the other side of the truth of the way in which things are often for us, the way in which the truth of things are, are true throughout the world, and the way in which if we occasionally allow our eyes to be open, we can see in the midst of our lives. Last, uh, let's see, Thursday night, um, Kelly and I took a Defiance employee Christmas party, which is just me and her. Um, uh, it was a grand time. Um, uh, things got out of hand, let me tell you. Uh, and, and we walked into the uh, bar at the Hotel Colorado, and there's a guy sitting there who is conducting the whole bar, very loud, this, that, and the other. And I told Kelly as we walked in, I said, I think we should go someplace else. And the guy yells, hey, if you come and sit next to me and tell me your story, I'll buy you a drink. I was like, "Okay, oh, Kelly, we're in. I'm <laughs> um, uh, uh, a cheap date, um, uh, and so we went and sat next to him, uh, <laughs> um, yeah uh, and it, um, you know, it was where'd you meet, this, that, and the other, lots of surface level talk and um, obviously he had um, had his emotions loosened by I think gin. Um, but uh, as you talk to people, I mean, like, really talk to people. And this guy I just met. Obviously, he's going through something. Um, his, his wife is back in um, Ohio uh, visiting her, his sick mother-in-law. Um, and it, he, he, he's got this sort of way in which he's trying to, to tie together the joy he's feeling in his life with the sorrow that exists at the same time. Um, and it, he, he said, sorry to joke about it. And I said, you know, sometimes... Joking about it is the only way despair doesn't win. Um, And I don't know where I heard that. This is not my own wisdom coming out of me. Um, But, like, sometimes being able to laugh at what you're going through is the only way you cannot surrender to the darkness. The oil of joy instead of the oil of mourning. This guy, as Kelly will tell you, was quite obsessed with the way I smelled and gave me seven hugs and said, it's so great you were here tonight. Um, I don't know if he'll remember any of it. Um, But, randomly, being accosted by a stranger walking into the Hotel Colorado, you can confront the realities of agony that still exist in a world that we try to ignore. to meet hurting people in some ways, um, uh, he said. Well, you can sit. I, yeah. Pray, pray for him. <laughs> uh, there's a lot going on in that in that man. But um, uh, but yeah, I think that there's this truth, and this will bring us to the psalm. I think is the end of this this. Um, this passage from Isaiah has the passage, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has arrayed me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow. This this beautiful organic language. So the sovereign Lord makes righteousness and praise spring up among the nations. It is joy because the dark words don't always have the final word. It is joy because in the grand scheme of things, the world will be transformed in this way in which Isaiah says. will be brought into new ways. But to go to the psalm, um, which I believe is up there now, yeah, those who sow, this is the end of the psalm, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. I can't be the only one who's thinking like, couldn't I just pray like, Those who sow with, like, mediocre feelings of sadness will reap with songs of joy. Like, to weep. I mean, to sow with tears would be to cry so much that your tears hit the ground. But they will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves of the joy within them. Um, this week I I saw a headline that said, taking a day off every week and relaxing is good for you, which is like science to cover the Sabbath. Like it wasn't like we were instructed in that from the very beginning of Genesis to to cease from labors for a day. Um, But I was thinking about this in relation to like, there's all this, you'll see it occasionally on wherever you get your news, that like gratitude is good for us. Like practicing gratitude is good for us and we should do that. Um, And that's like brain science, which is like, that seems to just make sense, but okay, we'll trust that now it's been proven. Um, we prove things that our grandmothers know, I think, is a lot of what this modern sort of science does. is like, you know, taking a day off a week is good. Like, yes, yeah, somebody said that, you know, 4,000 years ago, but it's good that we have evidence now to go with it. Um, connecting this thought to this, um, as we practice gratitude in this world, I think there's this relationship towards mourning and gratitude that, that is important to tie together. There's this sort of uh, dialectic, if you want to say, or, or dynamic in which um, to sit in the face of something and to say that this is not all that there is would amplify your gratitude in other ways. I mean, there are gratitude journals that I think don't acknowledge that the bad things, right? It's just like, write down your three happy things today and move on with it, which, of course will inevitably tied with mourning because there's no way you live 365 writing three things down and don't have the day where it's like, it sucks, I don't want to do it. Um, But point being, what the psalm ties for us together is this relationship to being present to that pain, to sowing tears so literally that for something else to spring up, for gratitude, it springs up in the midst of the denial that that is the way things should be. Um, that's, that's hard-won gratitude, I think, in some ways. Um, and like I said, inevitably, if you're just trying to do the 300 a, a year, you're going to reach that day any- anyways. But this truth that the psalmist proclaims for us is that the joy, again, this Sunday is about joy, uh, comes on the other side. Um, to soak ground in tears is the way in which you guarantee you will bring back a greater harvest of joy. Anybody who's ever led a youth group, if you're like, hey, everybody, memorize a Bible verse, at least half the boys will come back with Jesus' wept because it's the shortest Bible verse, not realizing that they've also captured a great truth in the midst of that. The one who comes amongst us to restore all things is the one who weeps next to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. (laughs) To exist in that in this spot... um, I know this sounds like a terrible Christmas. I'm trying to think of ways to tie it back to joy. Um, well, this is what we're promised, I mean, in this way, is that is what I'm trying to say is that the joy, uh, I don't know how they do Christmas in the Southern Hemisphere, but the thing I love about doing it in the Northern Hemisphere is it gets darker and darker and darker until the 22nd. So it's not exactly paired, but then light starts to come back into the world brings us to John's gospel that Ethan read for us. Um, he was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. I think First off, let's just um, appreciate the good news that uh, John was a man sent from God, and he was not the light. And for us in this holiday season, with whatever promises we might be trying to hold together ourselves, you are not the light. John, at least as what we're told, was sent from God. You were born into this ordinary context. You are definitely not the light. And I mean that to be good news, because something else is the light. There is a light. Perhaps that's the good news. Um, there is a light. And, and in the words in which John will go on to, the gospel writer um, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Another true statement about the way the world is. I use this image often of John the Baptist. It comes from an altarpiece. Jesus is on the cross above him, which, of course, makes it not historic because John is dead when Jesus dies. Um, uh, But here, John is um, dressed as the way he is, pointing at Christ. The phrase behind him is, uh, he must increase, I must decrease, I believe in Latin. And he's holding the Old Testament scriptures, which is the way John kind of appears to us. But the thing I love about this passage in John that we can be reminded of this holiday season is what was said several times I am not. They came and they asked him, Are you the Messiah? I'm not the Messiah. Then you are Elijah. I am not. Are you a prophet? I am not. John knows that his call is to point away from himself. Now, the writer of John, the, the Gospel of John, I'm just using that phrase just to avoid John, John, to keep, <laughs> to keep it straight. The writer of the Gospel of John um, talks about John as one who testifies, who is a witness to, which isn't nothing. So that's this to say I'm not, I'm not, is to say I'm not the source of all this. But John's call and here I believe we are called into that, too is to be a witness to that light, to be involved in the testimony of pointing to that light. Though things are dark, though we may sit in mourning with people. we are also people who can say this is not all there is, not because I am not not because I am the light, I am not. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. But what does he say? They say, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I am a voice. I am a voice. To be, as we go forward, deeply acknowledged of the despair that the world is entrenched in, But to also say in those places, I'm a voice. Here he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah again. I'm a voice of the word, Uh, I'm a voice in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. It's for the church in this season to learn to grow into the, the, the range of human emotions, let's say that, from despair to the great joy that is coming but it's also for the church in this season to, to learn to say, we are not that thing, but we can be a witness, we can be a voice, we can point a way um, to make straight those paths in anticipation of that great joy that is coming. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, what then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied but one among you stands, but among you stands one you do not know. We are that voice. Among us stands one we do not know. What I forgot at the start of the service um, is the third meaning of Advent is the ways in which we celebrate Christ is present to us now. Um, the ways in which Christ's light has already done some things in the world in our baptisms, in our um, resurrected lives, in the ways in which we know that these are not the final words and that he conquered death in the cross. Um, uh, Among, as this voice to say, but among you, the world, the people who don't know, ourselves as we need to be told this, um, I hear it from other people Christians when I'm in the midst of this but among you stands one you do not know to know that one he is the one who comes after me the straps of one I'm unworthy to tie the one who has the power and the ability to, to sow joy here again in the present um You've got to love John's I am nots, by the way. Jesus has seven I ams throughout John's Gospels. I am the resurrection and the life. Among us stands one that we can know. And to end with this, it, you know, we center our worship, I try to say this at least once a quarter, um, the meal in which Christ meets us in. Um. It's not centered on the music team, it's not centered on the pastor, it's not centered on anything else but this this meal in which Christ meets us in that we're going to celebrate after um, one more song and the confession of faith and such. But but Advent has those three movements. Rescue us as captive Israel. Restore and put all things to rights. so the joy that is promised in these books and in these stories will someday become fulfilled in ways beyond which we can imagine. And allow us to meet and be with you here as the one among us we are invited to know in our present lives. Let us pray. God, you have called us into the truth of the way things are in the world. that there is goodness. And we know that there is goodness because we are called into mourning at times. Mourning is our way of saying this is not what should be. Something else should reign and be in this place. And so as we prepare our hearts this Advent, we wait that joy that you promise us, that that which shouldn't be will someday not be, and we are called into being a voice, reminding each other of that, reminding ourselves of that, and of displaying in the world that those who plant with tears shall one day reap a harvest. We will be clothed in joy in the words.